episode 66 of our weekly Cricket Hurt vodcast. It's probably being brought to you a little bit later than usual because um, we got back from Bristol late last night, um, totally exhausted, in some ways quite thankful that there wasn't a day five uh, because we were tired enough already. Um, but, but today's episode is going to be essentially a review of the four days cricket that we've just seen, um, wonderful four days. And Sid, there really does seem to be a narrative that's built up um, around this match, and particularly the exciting fourth day, um, that it's a kind of revival for women's test cricket. What do you make of that? Uh, I certainly think that it was a much more positive game than the last couple that we've seen. Um, yes, it ended in a draw, but it wasn't a grinding board draw of the kind of the last the last couple um, of tests between England and Australia. Um, you know, the last couple of tests, you sort of felt that. You know, everyone knew it was going to be a draw. Uh, you know, from quite early on in in the proceedings. Whereas this time, uh, England had a very real opportunity to win it, uh, and New Zealand, New Zealand, India, had to fight hard for their draw. Um, and so, with India at one point, they were eight down, and you know, if England had got those last couple of wickets, then then they would have won it. So England were within two wickets of winning the game. India fought really hard. Um, you know. That, that that partnership at the end that that kind of denied England um, was you know it, it it wasn't kind of positive cricket in the sense of, the, of them going at five or six and over but it was positive cricket in the sense of them battling it out and fighting for their lives and that's partly what Test cricket is about and it proved that you know it's it's not really about whether a match is drawn or not when you're actually watching it but whether or not it's exciting and I still feel it was so I think it's positive uh, hopefully that you know things are going in the right direction how do you feel Raf? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think that um, previously sometimes, um, for example, with my Guardian pieces, there's not been a great deal of interaction sometimes for women's internationals. Um, it really felt like there were a lot of comments, positive comments, exciting discussions going on below the line in the Guardian because I did dare to venture there every every day of the four days. Um, and that's great because it, it feels like kind of people who... And there were a lot of people saying, well, I've never watched a women's test before and I watched this one and it was brilliant. So I, I think there was a lot of talk talk about it, a lot of buzz around it um, and the, the way that it unfolded obviously with the fourth day being particularly exciting definitely helped with that. Um, obviously there's a much bigger question here which is will this one-off exciting test lead to a broader revival of women's test matches and I think that we do have to be a little bit careful not to get ahead of ourselves because we've still got a long way to go. Um, you know, this particular battle may have been won, but the war is not won. And really, um, the biggest factor in terms of getting more women's test cricket um, and getting more India playing and getting India playing more women's test cricket is actually in the hands of a few men that run the BCCI. Um, now, of course, the fact that India fought on and secured the draw will actually help. So in a way, yes, there was, there's a lot of disappointed England fans, but actually this result is potentially a better one for women's cricket and, and for women's test cricket because it will mean that the BCCI, um, hopefully, is... Um, is kind of more willing now to organise more tests and there's obviously the the um, one-off um, India-Australia test coming up in a few months time so that's great um, but yeah so I think let's not get ahead of ourselves on the other hand um, this was a brilliant example of what women's test cricket can be like. Um, in terms of kind of other positives um, coming out of this match, um, there were a lot of um, almost like a kind of next generation of young players um, who were making their test debuts and thinking in particular, I guess, about Shafali Verma and Sophia Dunkley. Um, 
and obviously um, Dunkley made um, a half century and Trafali had the opportunity to bat twice and made two half centuries, um, kind of almost um, embracing test cricket um, and embracing a bit of a different way of playing. Is that fair to say, Sid? Yeah, I think one of the, the biggest positives to come out of this test is, you know, we've got two new exciting names in the international arena. Uh, let's take Dunks first. Um, we talked a couple of weeks ago about, you know, how the fact that, you know, she'd obviously deserved uh, a place in this England squad. And we felt that, you know, putting her in the test team would be a good plan. Um, but... You know, she was kind of un, untested in the untested um, in the sense that she hadn't played an ODI, um, and although she'd had some very good scores in the Rachel Hayho Flint, there was still some some question marks there. Partly because she, as we said a few weeks ago, she played several matches for England, but she'd yet to have that kind of defining innings that you know cements your place for a long time. Um, and that was you know very much due to lack of opportunity. Really, she'd had like eight did not bats in you know her first you know 15 games or something um and it's it's difficult to have that defining innings in t20 cricket especially if you're coming in at mm-hmm. six seven eight but you know she hadn't um and you feel now that she has right she's she's had a, a very substantial not out um she kind of in retrospect slightly rescued england right if dunks yeah. had got out early doors actually if she, dunks had got out for two or three then England could well have actually have ended up in a position where they, yeah, they were, where they were even, fighting not they to were lose. the ones fighting not yeah. to not to lose the test. So hugely positive, and I think Sophia Dunkley has you know uh, kind of stamped Sophia Dunkley onto you know being part of the England setup for a long time now, and I think she's really shown that she can do it. And then of course Shafali. I mean you know there there have been and there will be lots more words written about her, and I don't think I'm going to be saying anything original at all. Um, but you know there were some question marks coming into it as to whether she really had the temperament to do this. Uh, there was some suggestion that perhaps she should bat at five because she shouldn't really be opening. The implication being, well, we don't really trust her opening in this. She showed that she she has the shots, she has the cricket brain, and she has the temperament. She also, you know, was was very involved on a fielding basis. So you know, she wasn't she wasn't having to be you know hidden in the outfield or anything. Um, so she showed just what a, a huge asset she's going to yeah. be for India in all formats. And I'll tell you, tell you what, India are not going to be not picking her for an ODI yeah. in the future because they haven't picked her for ODIs in the past either. She'll she'll play every match that India play for the next twenty years, providing she's not injured. Really impressive. Now, um, you know, we've talked about some positives there, but um, you know, I guess at the end of the day, England. Didn't win a match they could have could have won, um, and there have to be maybe some questions about selection. Raf, what's your take on that? Yeah, I I think that there are some um, some difficult conversations to be had about whether England picked the right team. Absolutely, um, I think that certainly um, on the fourth day yesterday um, we were watching um, the England seamers um, kind of and 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 come in and and try and take those those final two wickets um, and actually um, the bowling attack, the seam bowling attack looked um, quite samey um, and um, it really um, didn't seem to, um, they didn't really seem to be threatening to take a wicket um, at all. Um, obviously you had Sophie Eccleston very much toiling away at the other end um, and she bowled an awful lot of overs in this match. Yeah, I think a hypercourse tweeted that there's only been about like four or five other cases where anyone's ever bowled more overs in a women's test in in the entire history of the game. Yeah, I mean she bowled basically a, a 15 over spell, continuous spell yesterday, and I think it was over 30 overs in the day. Um, and 
yes, um, Heather Knight was asked about this in the press conference and said, oh, it's okay because she's got a very repeatable action. Um, and that's great, but it's that's a little bit more kind of almost luck than, than judgment in the sense of England only played one frontline spinner, um, which now looks to be to very much have been a mistake. Um, so, you know, there's there's that. Um, the the um, I suppose, you know, they didn't know how the pitch was going to play. They didn't realise that it would be quite so lifeless for the seamers. Um, but, you know, in, in in some ways they could have, even if they'd gone with um, a kind of seam-heavy attack, there would have been some much more attack options that offered a real point of difference um, and that could actually have seen them force that win yesterday um, so you know for example um, Tash Farron left armour instant point of difference there um, another um, another option that they had available to them was of course Emily Arlott um, she's a bit taller than the other bowlers um, could potentially have got a bit more bounce um, you know, I'm not saying that necessarily any of these options would have won them the match, but it does feel that the that the bowling attack that they went with was quite a conservative one. Yeah, they went with three bowlers that are that are all similar heights. Yeah. They've all all got kind of once you take out the swing stuff and you go well Anya swings it in one direction Catherine can swing it in the other direction but once that stops being an issue you wind up with them very repeatable whereas Tash Farrant you know. Tash Farron's got the ball that angles across the right-hander, um, which obviously she, as a left-hander she can bowl, um, and that's that's not dependent wholly on swing, so you've already got a difference there, yeah. uh, and it's conceivable that she could have still got some movement on the pitch, because her classic, her classic ball is uh, away from the right-hander and then back in and into the stumps. Um, yeah. And Emily Arlott can, of course, bowl some different lengths be uh, because she's got a height difference, whereas yeah. England's all England seamers very similar height as well, sending the ball down from a very similar place. So absolutely rough. Yeah, and we know that the Kookaburra ball only um, swings for a very few overs as well. Um, so whilst the new ball did look very threatening, um, that didn't last very long. Um, and the thing with uh, the Emily Arlott selection is, I do feel very much that actually um, they England picked her, and it was, a, and you know, as a kind of great PR stunt, brilliant publicity for the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy and a really nice story. Um, but it does feel in retrospect like they didn't ever have any intention of playing her, like they'd almost already picked their 11 before they rocked up in Bristol with that, those final 15 players. Um, so that's that's kind of my fear, is that actually um, it wasn't done on a kind of a genuine basis of, well, we might play her, it was done on a basis of, we're, we're going to make her our net bowler. And, and I'm sure she had a brilliant experience um, and... Um, yeah, but I just think that, that she should have been a genuine option for them. Um, and so, so yeah, there are some question marks about that. Um, somebody actually said to us um, on Twitter that, um, you know, potentially uh, they should, in, if they were going to pick another spinner, they could have been done with picking Kirsty Gordon, um, who, you know, is could have done very well on this pitch and is in great form in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy. Why didn't they pick Kirsty Gordon, Sid? Well, having just... <laughs> Tossed her back to Loughborough because they decided that they didn't need her in the yeah. England squad anymore. Um, Could yeah. have been very embarrassing. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so I do think that there are some some question marks there. And I think that it was slightly strange that Heather Knight freely admitted to saying, oh, well, I picked um, Georgia Elwes um, as a batter. Um, Georgia Elwes kind of tweeted last night, basically saying, I would have loved to contribute more with bat and ball. Um, so a little bit um, of... You know, if if they did play her only as a batter, I I think that there's been maybe a miscommunication there with her. Um, and uh, yeah, 
it was it was a bit odd not to utilize her i know she's been out injured um, but she's clearly not having um concerns now about bowling because she's been bowling a lot for vipers and doing quite yeah, well bowled really well in the rhf yeah. so so why not use her um why not why not especially when you're you know the game yesterday was petering out into a draw at that point what have you got to lose chuck her in um very very strange to be honest and i didn't i was i didn't really buy heather knight's explanation but hey um anyway that that's that's selection um obviously those debates will will rumble on um but as you wrote in your piece, yes, uh, Mark Robinson once said to you, don't play cricket in retrospect, Sid, or something like that. <laughs> um, another maybe potential disappointment, um, given how exciting the match was, was the size of the crowd, Sid? Yeah, I, um, you know, it, there were, there, Sky actually showed some shots at one point where they panned around the entire ground um, and showed absolutely nobody. And we got some comments on Twitter from people going... Oh, is, is, are there nobody allowed? Are people not allowed in? Um, and in fact, what Sky had done there was they'd taken a, a camera shot from the one corner of the ground where um, the spectators were all put into a single corner, and then they kind of, kind of panned around the entire rest of the ground without showing the bit behind them where the spectators were. Um, so there were spectators there, um, and possibly you will have heard them on the on the uh, effects mics on Sky. Um, Sky do a very good job actually of, I've seen this at football as well where Sky do an amazing job of making it sound like there's a lot more noise and excitement going on than sometimes there actually is so you will have heard the crowd because they will have effectively mic'd them up um, but it, it was a pretty small and a pretty disappointing crowd probably I think, I mean we haven't seen any numbers but I think it's probably the smallest crowd in the last 10 years at women's test I've seen every day of every women's test in, in this country in the last 10 years and I don't think I've seen a smaller crowd than that over over the course of the four mm. days so a little bit disappointing that bristol didn't didn't jump on it um you know it's it, there is still obviously you know covid still rears its ugly head um there are concerns in this country for the benefit of those people that are not in this country watching this there are concerns in this country about another wave of covid coming through um with this delta variant um you know which the case numbers are going up so people are obviously perhaps a little bit worried about that um and I just think that there was just actually a little bit less excitement. One thing that the board could think about in future, actually, is to kind of inject some of the excitement that we've got from the Ashes into it. And this was a suggestion made by Hypercost, um, who you know always says good things on Twitter. Is the reason why we've, this is the second time I've quoted him. Hi, um, is uh, you know actually creating a proper trophy for this and create, that creates a narrative for this. So you've got the Ashes for England and Australia and that creates excitement. Um, so create a trophy, na name a, a trophy for the England India women's series after two greats from the past uh, and create that that narrative that includes the test match and if we can do that maybe that will kind of bring some more excitement with it and some some more meaning to to the test match and hopefully bring back the crowds I'd be really interested to see what Sky's figures were mm -hmm. I guess they probably weren't too bad for the first three days particularly because it was on uh, on the main cricket channel for the day that the men's test final got rained off obviously you know a lot of cricket fans would have been watching that men's test final yesterday. Um, but, you know, I guess that that's the key, really, ultimately. The, the, what Sky's figures actually are really what matters. But it will be nice to get people in the grounds as well. And hopefully, let's, let's see what happens for the, um, the white ball legs. It's going to be interesting to see. Okay, so, well, that's those things. Now, one more question, Raf, um, if, if I may. Um, a lot of people have said that uh, we shouldn't be here now. We should still be in Bristol. 
watching a fifth day. Of course, men's test played over five days, women's test played over four days. In theory, the women's bowl are faster over eight, which means it's not quite five and four days because we bowl an extra ten overs every day, which gives you almost another half day. Mm. Uh, what do you think, Raf? Do you wish you were still in Bristol? <laughs> Frankly, actually, the truth is that right now we we believe it's raining, so yeah. you. you you wouldn't be watching, but well, yeah, you've you've touched on a couple of um, of cu- a couple of bigger issues there actually. So one is is obviously the rain. They were, they lost um, quite a bit of play to rain um, on the third day, which didn't help. And there was actually a, a point of kind of about half an hour or forty five minutes when they really could have been playing. It wasn't raining at all, and I still don't quite understand what happened there. And the other thing was the kind of perennially slow over rates throughout the game. Um, I think India were guiltier of this than England, um, although England didn't um, bowl their overs particularly quickly but perhaps some of that was slightly to do with a little bit of faffing by the Indian batters who I believe at various points were warned by the umpires with um, penalty run inflictions. We're not quite sure whether the, what the penalties are going to be and whether they will be enforced in terms of those slow over rates but obviously that was very frustrating um, somebody said on my below the line in on my Guardian piece yesterday there didn't seem to be any love loss between the captains during the post-match presentations which I think summed it up quite nicely I think that England were a bit frustrated with with um with India's slow over rates um, and some of their kind of faffing, um, so that was the real problem in this match, I think. Um, and this is a debate that will carry on. To be honest, every time there is a draw in a women's test, people always say, um, "Oh, there should be a day five. Um, oh, we sh- you know they need they need more time, and then we'd get a result, and it will be brilliant." Um, and that's kind of. It, you know, it's it's fair in some ways because people look at it and go, oh, well, the men's tests are played over five days and women's cricket should be equal. Um, my one concern with um, kind of banging on about a fifth day um, and saying, well, we, we don't want to play um, any more women's tests unless we get five days and have equality with the men is that you almost slightly shoot yourself in the foot because um, with the administrators and the ICC so reluctant to support women's test cricket um, because, and we know that it's for commercial reasons, it's expensive for them to for them to stage it. Um, actually, by saying, well, we want to add on a fifth day to every game, you are adding weight to their arguments about it being too expensive. So by shooting yourself in the foot, I mean that what you're, what you're effectively doing um, is giving the ICC another reason not to support more women's tests. Um, so my reluctance to say, yes, we should have five, t- five day tests is more about um, the fact that I then worry that that will actually mean less women's tests overall. Personally, I would much rather see many more women's tests played over four days and then we can think about that fifth day and adding that on. Um, so that's my that's my slight concern about the fifth day. And, and I mean, again, it's about do you play cricket in retrospect? Um, the whole match would have been different, wouldn't it, Sid, if we'd had a fifth day? Well, not least the follow-on figure would have been yeah. 200 rather than 150, so India wouldn't have had to follow on. Yeah. Um, you know, and then so... And Heather Knight probably wouldn't have declared when she did as well. Um, I know they were nine down when she declared, but Sophia Dunkley could have got to her 100. They could have added more runs. Um, anything could have been different because you do play differently when it's a five-day game to when it's a four-day game. Yep. 
Anyway, so that's right. our that's our post mortem. Um, let's let's keep talking. Um, it was certainly a great match, um, and the fact that there's so many talking points have come out of it is actually really positive. Um, and we're excited to see what happens next in the series. Um, the ODIs starting next weekend, um, and um, yeah, both sides kind of go in on on level pegging now. So it'll be really exciting to see what happens next. Thanks for watching as ever, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.